Welcome to the Purse Podcast. My name is Jana Hlistova, and we are changing the conversation for women about money and investing. I'm super excited about my guest today, Julia Elliott Brown. Julia is the CEO and founder of Enter the Arena, the UK's leading fundraising and growth advisor, working exclusively with women entrepreneurs. With 20 years commercial experience developing, building, and funding high-growth startups, including the award-winning online shoe design brand Upper Street and internet pioneer UpMyStreet.com, Julia's mission and passion is to bring her wealth of expertise to support women entrepreneurs on their own journeys to raising finance and scaling their businesses. Alongside her coaching and advisory work, Julia mentors female founders at NatWest Entrepreneurial Spark and Virgin Startup. She's also a judge at the Great British Entrepreneur Awards and also hosts the groundbreaking podcast, Fundraising Stories with Women Entrepreneurs. Now, in our conversation, I asked Julia to share some of her biggest lessons from the time she ran her own startup and when she was raising capital for her business. We talk about female entrepreneurship. We discuss what it's like to raise capital for your startup today and why it might make sense for female entrepreneurs to raise capital specifically from female angel investors. Finally, I asked Julia to share her advice for women in terms of how they might want to engage much more around money and investing, especially if they're short on time. Don't forget to share this podcast with anyone you think might find it useful. And you can sign up to our weekly newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. It's aimed at women who want to be smart about money. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Julia, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Jana. It's great to be here. I was actually thinking back to when we first met, which was all the way back to 2016. And I was actually raising funding for my business sort of towards the end of the journey. But I was thinking this morning about how you were actually one of the only women who I spoke to who was an experienced entrepreneur who had successfully raised money and was available to give advice. And so I just want to say thank you because it's so important that female entrepreneurs have the support, the role models, women in our network who can really help to move the needle. So I'm really excited to have you on today. Thank you. I was glad I could help in whatever way I managed to at the time. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. And so I'd love to kick off and ask you about your earliest memory or experience that has had an impact on you as an entrepreneur. And how do you think this has shaped you? I love this question. It's a great one. I, I spent a bit of time thinking about this. I think one of the biggest influences on me being an entrepreneur is probably my dad, actually, when I think about it. My dad always said to me that I could do anything that I wanted to if I put my mind to it. And that just one thing that he said to me has always made me strive to be 
stretching myself, pushing myself as hard as I, I can be in whatever I do. So I think my, my dad has really, really influenced me. I mean, I remember him saying to me, you know, you could be chairwoman of ICI and you should do an MBA. And actually, my, my dad died when I was 14. And so I think that memory of those things that he said to me when I was younger have really driven me a lot in my career. The entrepreneurial thing for me has been there ever since I can remember, ever since I was about two, because I've always seen problems around me and wanted to fix them. That's kind of what I do. I'm a bit of a fixer and I'm the oldest of three girls. And I think that's also a factor because you're always kind of, you're the one that's paving the way, that's kind of breaking the rules or making the rules and negotiating with your parents and those kind of things. So I guess it's always been really in my blood, but very much encouraged by my dad. And I remember all through school, anything that was sort of a chance to be entrepreneurial, you know, for example, I would make cakes and sell them at school and make bracelets and sell them at school. And I always loved the whole process of kind of working out how much things cost and then how much how much margin I could put on the top of them. So it's, I think it's always been in my blood, really. That's really interesting. There's research out there, actually, about the fact that fathers who are very encouraging of their daughters from a young age have such a profound impact and they tend to be the reason that women excel, whether it's starting a business or in their corporate career. It's a very common story, that one. So um, mm. thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> you ran a very successful startup called Upper Street. And I remember this because I went to a few of your talks and, and events and of course, women could design their shoes, which is really so awesome. And you ran the business for seven years and you had customers such as Helena Bonham Carter and Carrie Mulligan. You raised three quarters of a million in equity funding and later raised £230,000 via crowdfunding, which is no mean feat. What would you say were some of your biggest lessons in terms of running the business and also in, in raising capital? Oh, I mean, every day was a lesson running that business, I have to say. It was <laughs> <laughs> my sister and I started the business together because we had a need ourselves for designing our own shoes. My sister had quite big feet and I just could never find the shoes that I, I wanted. And so it was it came from something within that we thought, this is brilliant. Like why why is no one doing this? And we knew absolutely nothing about fashion, shoes, production, logistics. I mean, even though we were both very experienced businesswomen, most of the things we were doing with that business were completely new to us. So every day was a massive lesson. But I think in terms of the biggest lessons, I would say as entrepreneurs, we are incredibly positive people and we have incredibly optimistic views of what we can achieve because <laughs> we normally do achieve a lot. But I think a lesson was that kind of usually everything takes twice as long and costs twice as much as you think it's going to. So you need to factor that into your planning. That was definitely a big lesson for us. A big lesson for me really is that being successful as an entrepreneur, yes, it's about having a great vision for what you're building. And, and yes, it's about having a great plan and, and working hard to execute on it. But actually, success is also so much to do with luck and timing. And so you shouldn't beat yourself up too much when things don't quite go the way you expected. And I think seeing building a business as almost like a game it is a really good way to look at things when you're an entrepreneur, because 
Otherwise, there's a danger that you can take everything very, very personally, and that will cause you a lot of stress. Whereas if you can see it almost like a game of chess that you're playing and accept that sometimes you're going to win and sometimes you're going to lose, it kind of takes some of the emotional sting out of it when things don't quite go your way. So those are probably the biggest lessons I learned generally running the business that kind of go across all the other smaller lessons we learned. But I mean, in terms of raising investment, I mean, actually, in the end, we raised about two million because we had initial sort of friends and family round and then we had two VCs came on board. We had angel investors. We raised money from the bank when it was easy to get loans from the bank. We crowdfunded. We got further funding from our VC investors. So it was quite a lot of money in the end. And it was really, really difficult. And you're right, Jana, when we first met, I felt that there weren't that many female founders around that I could see that were raising money. They weren't very visible. And when I was raising money, I really struggled to get the kind of help that I could have done with back then. There were lots of kind of men in suits who were very good at mansplaining everything to me. (laughs) And I felt very patronized. I felt that the people that were trying to lob advice at me hadn't been entrepreneurs themselves. There were people who'd come from the finance industry or accounting or whatever. They, they, They didn't know what it really felt like to be me. And I found it really difficult to trust anyone that was trying to give me advice because I felt they all had their own interests at heart. So I had to learn a lot of hard lessons in raising investment by by making a lot of mistakes along the way. I made a lot, but I I learned a a lot and got pretty good at raising investment in the process. So yeah, but about two million we raised in the end. Which is amazing. You mentioned risk there and being an entrepreneur, I guess, is all about managing risk and timing, however, does have a huge impact. As you say, you can't always take things personally but it's very difficult to do isn't it if luck isn't on your side or timing isn't on your side and we as entrepreneurs try our very hardest to manage that risk but there are so many unknowns I think along the journey. That's right and I think it's about being able to react quickly and be able to pivot when those things don't go to plan and I mean my goodness the current situation with the global pandemic is a fabulous example of that and how how many entrepreneurs I'm seeing just really rising to the challenge and we are so good at doing that so you know there's only so much planning you can do I'm sure there aren't many entrepreneurs who'd put global pandemic into their scenario planning for 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that your fundraising changed your perception or your relationship with money in general around investing or how you personally manage your money? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think my sister and I really were probably almost the biggest investors in our business, not just, of course, in terms of the money that we put in, but the the salary sacrifices we made and the blood, sweat and tears that we put in. And I think that was a huge risk. But I think what was really driving me particularly was a kind of fear of failure. When you have a great idea and you want to make it happen, for me, it wasn't fear of failure that stopped me doing it. It was fear of failure that drove me to it because I thought, gosh, I could kick myself if I look back in years to come and, and thought I should have done that. And I didn't. So those early days when we were putting everything into ourselves just made me become much more comfortable with risk and seeing money as a tool to get me where I wanted to go rather than a thing that I needed in its own right. And fundamentally, there's there's not much point in having money just sitting in the bank. It's not really doing anything. It's not driving any 
pleasure or, or good in the world. And I think for me, I definitely see money now as just a tool that will help me make an impact in the world, whatever that is, whether that's an impact for, for me and my family, whether that's an impact for other entrepreneurs or whether it's a, an impact for society. And I think what you put out there into the world, you usually get back sevenfold. So if all you're doing is holding on to money and keeping it in the bank, you're not going to get anything back. Whereas if you put it out into the world, you will get that back in spades. And I'm not just talking about getting money back in spades, but about the kind of feeling you get, the positivity you get, the difference you make. That's so powerful. And I think for a lot of women, thinking about the impact the money can have on the world at large is a huge motivator. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in my experience, that's what turns most women on when they're thinking about investing. I'm not saying it's not a head-based decision. You know, we do obviously make careful decisions about what we do with our money, but we are very drawn with the heart towards things that really connect with us in an emotional way. I'd like to switch gears to talking about female entrepreneurs and specifically the landscape for female entrepreneurs who are raising capital. What do you see as some of the challenges today and and how do you think female entrepreneurs can overcome them and obviously talk about the pandemic because that's where we we are very much in today? I think, I mean, for a long time now, the landscape for female founders has been quite challenging and there are all sorts of statistics you see banded about around how little funding goes to female founders. You know, everything from kind of 2.7% of funding to kind of seven, eight percent. I mean, whatever the numbers you look at, it's not good. And actually those those overall numbers have not been moving over the last few years, which is very frustrating. And the challenges are kind of have always been at multi-level challenges. So there are and then they're on both sides of the equation. So there are challenges from the female entrepreneur perspective in that less women start their own businesses, although it's around about a third. But so less people start their own businesses. Women often start their own businesses because they want them for a particular lifestyle manage work-life balance, manage childcare, that kind of stuff. So not all women start businesses that they want to scale. But there are a lot of women who have great businesses, but don't necessarily see that they have potential to grow them because nobody's ever opened their eyes to that fact. They've not had maybe that dad from the, you know, saying to them, you can do anything. And they've not seen enough examples of great female founders. So they just don't even see the possibility. And then for those women that do see the possibility to scale, often there's a confidence issue around raising investment. It looks like a pretty scary thing to do. It feels for many female founders like you're looking into a completely different world, which is very male. This perception that it's men in suits who are in big offices making decisions about investing and women not understanding the language of investors. So there's kind of a lot of preconceived ideas, I think, that some female founders have around what raising investment means. And, and a lot of that is not correct. But so there's a big education piece to do with female founders to give them the confidence. And then when they have got the kind of chutzpah to get up there and go out and do it. The other thing about women, which is something you will all know, is that women like to have all their ducks in a row before they go and do anything, before they take a leap, um, as opposed to the guys who kind of be more likely to wing it. We don't like to wing it. And so there's a challenge for women in thinking, well, I know I want to do this. I know I want to raise investment, but I need to get all these skills to be able to do it in terms of speaking the language of investors, doing my pitch deck, getting a really good financial forecast, reaching out to investors, negotiating with them, all those things. It's like, it feels a bit kind of overwhelming. And so 
they're like, oh, you know, what? I, I'm never going to get all those skills. I, I, I'm just not going to do it. From the entrepreneur side, there's lots of things that stop women going for it, which are crazy, really. And then on the other side of it, in the investment ecosystem, there's some really systemic issues in that it has traditionally been very male dominated. And the systems are all set up to favor male entrepreneurs, you know, networking events in the evenings over beers, who knows who at the golf club. I mean, I'm kind of exaggerating a little bit, but that's kind of where we, where it came from. And and when you've got lots and lots of male investors, they will tend to invest in things that they know and feel comfortable with, which doesn't always match with a female entrepreneur's business, which may be to do with sanitary pads or, you know, kind of childcare. And the guys just don't get it. So there's a, there's a bit of a mismatch that's been going on for a long time. And the industry is is waking up to it. And there are a lot of people out there trying to make a massive difference in this space. Everything from the beginning where you just measure, you measure what's going on, you know, about how many female entrepreneurs are applying for finance. How are they moving through the stages of selection with investors, trying to kind of depersonalize it a bit? You know, those are some some of the things that are being put in place and just an awareness issue around some of the conscious and unconscious bias that that we have how investors ask questions of entrepreneurs, there's all sorts of things that are being challenged mm. and looked at. But what, as yet, we're not really seeing a massive change in the numbers in terms of how many women are being invested in. So it's good to see there are also initiatives that really do just focus on female founders. So female founder pitching events and those kind of things, and, and also initiatives to get more female investors into this space. So it's happening, but the challenges are still there. And I think when it comes to the coronavirus challenge that we have, I don't know, it could go both ways. And it's a bit early days, really. On the one side, everything's had to move online, which means a whole different way of connecting with investors. And actually, those old school events, which were very male dominated, you know, networking events and pitch events are out the window. So it's, it's becoming in some ways a sort of more level playing field and the investors are having to completely rethink how they generate pipeline, how do they reach out to entrepreneurs. And so they're having to rethink it anyway. And the government are really pressing the investment community to look at diversity as part of that. So it could really accelerate change on that front. But on the other hand, what we're seeing with investors is that because there is more nervousness in the market right now about investment, the capital is flowing much more towards more established businesses that have already mm -hmm. raised investment. And the problem is that most of those more established businesses, guess what, are run by male entrepreneurs. And so it's favoring the, the male entrepreneurs and making it more difficult for those more kind of the new wave of female entrepreneurs that are coming through, but are at an earlier stage. So it's quite a risky time, I think, for female entrepreneurs. And we have to work harder than ever to break through the glass ceiling and get the funding that we need to grow our amazing businesses. You know, there's no doubt about it. This leads on to my next question about the Future Fund, which the government put together in an effort to support entrepreneurs. And of course, the criteria in order to be eligible is that you need to have raised at least £250,000 of investment, which is arguably shutting out the very entrepreneurs who do need the most help. Yeah, I'm disappointed really in the government's response to supporting entrepreneurs through this challenging time. I mean, the other initiatives, you know, that they've had, the Sybil loan scheme, not appropriate for, for most startups because they are categorised as businesses in distress, <laughs> actually, rather than mm. growth businesses. The bounce back loan, fine, but it's pretty small. Future Fund, 
I mean, yes, it's frustrating that it isn't EIS compliant, which is quite off-putting for a lot of investors who want the tax breaks. It's overly complicated. You have to get lead investment. You have to have had investment before. I mean, it favours, again, those entrepreneurs who are, in theory, already on their way. So it's great for those entrepreneurs, but even those entrepreneurs who are already on their way, I mean, they're taking, you know, and I've spoken to a number of, of people who've been successful already in raising the money they need, whether they'll get the future funding, ma- match funding is still debatable because it's a first come first served thing. So it's all a bit risky. You know, their experience has been that it's incredibly complicated. It's very VC friendly. It's not particularly entrepreneur friendly, the terms, but it's better than nothing. But for those entrepreneurs who have never raised before, they're totally cut out. They're totally cut out. So there hasn't really been a huge amount of government support for those entrepreneurs that are building really, really exciting businesses, but are at the kind of seed finance stage. Yeah, really disappointing. And just to your earlier point, Julia, I mean, timing is everything, right? And it's very difficult if you are at the very start of your journey, you haven't secured the 250 yet to be eligible and you just have to find other ways and and that's quite a common thing obviously as as an entrepreneur but especially for female entrepreneurs who have to hustle a lot more a lot harder for a lot longer Mm. on average but what would you say then to female entrepreneurs who need to raise who are trying to raise today what's the best way to access capital right now I mean I think the advice is probably quite similar to the advice I would give Anyway, at an early stage, you know, the, the people who are most likely to back you are the people who know and trust you personally. In the early days, you're still very high risk, and you as the entrepreneur are probably more important at this stage than the idea itself. So, mining your own network, whether that's friends and family or your wider network of people you know, should always be your first port of call. Whether you're going to be doing that as a private round or whether you want to rally them all through a crowdfunding campaign, that's probably one of the most effective ways to raise, particularly as a female founder. And, you know, with crowdfunding, women do brilliantly. They have a much better success rate of crowdfunding than the guys. So I think that's where you will need to go is out to your own network. And then there are the kind of angel networks which are specifically set up to support female founders. But the danger is that a lot of angel investors are, you know, probably half of them are sitting on their money. So it is more competitive. If you've got a great business and you've got a long term vision, which people want to get behind and you can demonstrate how you are going to navigate the challenges that are here in the next couple of years or actually even how your business is going to really fly because of what's going on, because you're well positioned, then fundamentally people will back you. They will back you. But you've got to put your best foot forward. You know, you can't do a half-assed job of it. You've got to have a great business with a great long-term vision. You've got to be able to show investors that you can make a good return on investment for them over the long term. You've got to communicate it brilliantly. You've got to speak to the right people. And you've got to run your campaign really, really effectively. But, you know, there are people out there who have money. There are people out there who want to invest because they want to get in now while they can so that they can make the long-term gain over five, seven years. I think don't let this hold you back. And I think one of one of the issues that's been going on in the industry during the pandemic, it's partly that investors are holding on to money. But I have to say, a lot of the reason there hasn't been a lot of investment going on is because entrepreneurs have been a bit like rabbits in the headlight, which is kind of totally understandable, you know, because everyone's kind of going, oh, my God, what does this all mean for me? How do I sort my business out? How do I work from home, you know, whilst I'm trying to manage the kids and my partners in the same room and I've got my team working virtually and 
we're having to pivot the business. I mean, it's been crazy. Let's face it, it's been crazy. The fundraising is probably yeah. not quite top of the list, but you know what? It's it's becoming top of the list for a lot of entrepreneurs again because they sorted all that stuff out. And now it's like, right, let's we need to get on with things. I think that's part of the reason is and investors have been telling me this, that founders have not been coming forward trying to raise investments. So no wonder there's not been a lot of investment deals going on. So we shouldn't just blame it on people holding on to their capital. It's both sides mm-hmm. of the market. But I think now the tide is starting to turn. Entrepreneurs definitely now thinking, right, I need to raise because life goes on. And the same with investors. Yep. You know, they've got money. They need to put it in a place where it's going to give them a return. That's certainly not going to be in the bank at the moment because interest rates are so low. That's yeah. right. Why do you think women are you know, successful crowdfunding? Oh, I think there's a lot of things. I think you've got to be super well organized to be good at crowdfunding and women are bloody good at that, right? So you, there's a lot of things you've got to think through. You've got to plan it really carefully. You know, we're great at that. The female founders that I know that have been successful have come across really well in their crowdfunding videos. They're good at connecting. They're good at communicating. That really helps. And I think it's less intimidating. So we can run it from our desk and we can bring in our community. And a lot of women led businesses, businesses that are built on a consumer base that absolutely loves what they do. And so when they take those businesses to the crowd, that crowd wants to get behind them. So I think there's a lot of factors. But yeah, I think one of the things definitely is is just the preparation piece. You know, we don't wing it. You can't wing it when it comes to crowdfunding. (laughs) My goodness. As you say, women are very good at preparing. So you're the founder and, and CEO of a fundraising advisory firm called Enter the Arena, which supports high growth potential female entrepreneurs. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you do and, and how you help female entrepreneurs? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I set the business up four and a half years ago because of all the learnings that I'd made about raising investment over the years and how I'd felt that I didn't have that advice that I really needed when I was going through that journey. So I set up Enter the Arena to help female founders on that journey. And it's a very much what I would call a, a 360 approach. So it's taking female founders right from the beginning when they're thinking about raising investment, supporting them in preparing for that fundraising round. So getting their business in really good shape, preparing their pitch deck, their financial forecasts, but also their mindset so that they are ready to go out and raise and then supporting them all the way through their campaign as they reach out to investors, have meetings with investors, negotiate their deal, get their deal closed. So it's a handholding throughout the whole process. And I guess really it's, it's about three things. It's about helping you with your strategy, helping you develop the skills you need and giving you the support that you deserve to be successful my job is to empower female founders. It's not to do the investment round for them. So it's, it's very different from a kind of typical fundraising support that you might see where they, they sort of take it off your hands and go out and do it for you. I don't believe in that approach, particularly at seed stage, because the skills you need to raise investment are skills that you will need throughout your entrepreneurial life. And so you need to learn them early. And those skills are complex. You know, they are It's about understanding the the whole investment ecosystem, but it's also about communicating with real power, having confidence and resilience, being authentic, being honest, being able to negotiate. You know, there's kind of so many skills that, and let's face it, you don't just use when you're raising investment, you use those skills for all sorts of things. So I want to empower women to get those skills up to the highest level so that they can really be the very best they can. 
So in terms of how I support women, there's lots of things that we do at Enter the Arena. So we do lots of stuff that is free. I also have a podcast called Fundraising Stories with Women Entrepreneurs, which you should check out. Lots of incredible female founders that I've interviewed over the years who have raised investment, hear their stories, warts and all. (laughs) I write lots of articles, which are really helpful. I think that's really important to help as many women as I can at the beginning of the journey thinking about it. We do masterclasses, which is usually around 15 women who are just before they start thinking about fundraising, again, really developing some of their skills in particular areas. So for example, what goes into a pitch deck or how do you make a great financial forecast or how do you run a fundraising campaign? So sort of kind of top line stuff. And then for those women who are ready to raise, there's two options. So we have our online fundraising academy, which is an all-inclusive online resource, which I have built and set up to coach you through the process. And then for a very select few entrepreneurs, I do work with a few entrepreneurs one-on-one, which is a much more involved process where we meet weekly and I'm taking those women really to the highest level, which is really exciting. And then I also help women beyond the fundraise, which I think is really important. I run peer advisory groups for female founders who have recently raised investment and are making that transition from being a founder into being a CEO. Lots of challenges come at that point. I think a lot of people think that when you raise investment, all your problems are over. (laughs) And actually, it's usually the start of just the next load of challenges. And so the role of the arena, which is the peer advisory groups that I run, is about developing the entrepreneurial skills so that you can be a strong leader as you start to scale your business. So that's really exciting too. So it's really taking women through that whole journey. But the fundamental bit in the middle is the fundraising piece, which is the really sort of, if you don't do it well, it can be very painful. My ambition is to make, this sounds a bit cheesy, but to kind of put the fun into fundraising. It goes back to that point I made earlier (laughs) about seeing business as a game. Same with fundraising. If you can see it as a game that you're playing, it's much easier. I mean, that's easier said than done because there is usually a lot riding on a fundraise. You know, if you don't successfully raise for many female founders, that means that their business has to be shut down. So it does feel a bit like a life or death situation. Um, But my job is to be there behind the scenes, coaching those great female entrepreneurs and and helping them to be the best that they can be. Julia, that's wonderful. And I think just more, you know, female entrepreneurs being able to see other female entrepreneurs successfully raise and raise varying amounts of money. I mean, that all feeds into the ecosystem and into the the language and the reality for women. We need to see more role models, right? We need to see women also successfully exit their businesses. And it allows women to redefine this space. And like, I totally agree. We need to see this as a game. And it's a game that we define in the way that makes most sense for each of us. When I say see it as a game, it doesn't mean that we have to play the man's game and be all kind of, you know, big hair and shoulder pads and, you know, big high heels and ball breaking, you know, it doesn't mean that at all. You know, it's it's about stepping into your authentic self and being you as an entrepreneur and being the, the leader that you want to be, but communicating that effectively to the market so that people want to back you. It doesn't mean that you have to pretend to be someone that you're not. That's a really important point. But yes, see it as a game in that 
trying to take that really personal piece out of it so that you don't get too affected when things don't don't quite work out. Now, thinking about specifically women investors versus male investors, have you noticed any differences, um, specifically thinking about high net worth individuals or angel investors who are looking to put money into startups, early stage businesses? Are there any differences, do you think? And how might female entrepreneurs apply that knowledge and how they fundraise? Well, I think there are differences, actually. I mean, if anything, the female angel investors that I know and have come across and have worked with are just as thorough as the men. In fact, if not more thorough when they're doing their due diligence. And I think that's, again, part of that inherent risk profile that women often have, which is it doesn't mean we don't take risks, but we are very risk aware. And so female investors will be incredibly thorough when they are assessing a business opportunity. So just because they're a female investor doesn't mean they're going to be an easy ride far from it. And perhaps actually more so because they maybe feel they have more to prove as a female investor. I don't know. But I think one of the benefits of having more female investors for female entrepreneurs is that typically investors do tend to back businesses that they have some kind of knowledge or experience or connection with. So they will invest in something that they know. So if you're a woman that's building a business which is more female focused, that's a good thing. Because when you speak to female investors, they're just going to get it a lot quicker. Doesn't mean to say that you don't speak to male investors, because if you do a good communications job, they should get it too. But you just have to work a little bit harder on it. Depending on the kind of business you have, you may want to try and find more female investors. I mean, I certainly found um, when I was raising money for Upper Street, the shoe company, one of the VCs I had was led by a woman. And the other one had a portfolio which was 50% female businesses. So they were really supportive of female founders. And that was massively helpful for me. And then when we crowdfunded, we went out to our customer base, which was pretty much predominantly women. And we didn't have to explain to them about why designing your own shoes was such a good idea because they already knew that. (laughs) (laughs) Just get it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And also many of them would also then perhaps go to their partners and ask their partners if they would back it. And their partners knew that their wives or their girlfriends were really into it. So it kind of worked. But, you know, all the conversations I had with venture capital firms, you know, the guys, they wouldn't trust their own judgment. They'd say, well, I like this idea, but I just need to go and check with my wife and my girlfriend. And it kind of feels a bit annoying, but you think, well, okay, they're doing a bit of research. They're doing research with the target market to just sense check this. So if your investor is already your target market, it just makes life a little bit easier because the sense checking part can be taken out of the process. That makes a lot of sense. Now I'm going to switch gears again. I ask all of my guests these questions And it's specifically about what you're excited about in the world of investing in 2020 and beyond, and whether you're happy to share with the listeners how you personally invest your money. So I only back female founders. That's one of the things that I've made a decision on a long time ago. And I don't invest huge amounts of money. If I had loads of money, I would. (laughs) But I invest modest amounts of money and I spread my investments pretty broadly 
because I know that at startup level, probably 90% of the businesses that I back will fail. And so it's really important to have a broad basket in a portfolio of businesses. And I do it through crowdfunding because it's so easy and it's also quite addictive. Mm-hmm. And I've made a commitment that once a month I put a little bit of money into one campaign. And that's what I've always done. And over the years, I built up a nice little portfolio of businesses. And then also with the businesses that I work with to support them on the fundraising piece, when I work with them on a one-on-one basis, so that's just the select bunch of entrepreneurs that I work with, when they successfully raise, I also take a small carry, which basically means I take a small number of shares in their business as part of my commitment to them. I want to work with them long-term and I believe in what they do. So it's a part of the fee structure. And I really like that. I like the fact that I've got a kind of whole sort of group of brilliant female founders that I feel I've got a very small part of and and can play a little part in their success as they grow. And I think that's a really great way to to invest. The things I get excited about, oh God, I mean, it's really broad. I mean, I wouldn't say there's any particular, one particular sector or stage of business. You know, for me, it's just when I see a business, I think, oh, that's brilliant. And I can't explain it any more than that. It's just, it's always just obvious. There's never any thought about it. It's just like, of course, why hasn't someone done that before? And it's always that kind of a decision where you can just sort of totally see that there's something here without me having to really think too hard about it. I'll be honest with you. I rarely spend a lot of time looking at their pitch. I rarely spend a lot of time looking at their financials because I I just want to see that they've done some and they thought it through. But whether they're accurate or not is another thing, because when you're starting out, all your plans look great on paper, but none of them actually ever come come to fruition. So it's, I feel it's a bit pointless at this stage. It, most of it is on gut feel. But obviously, gut feel is based on years of experience working in the startup industry, years of experience working with entrepreneurs. And I've seen, you know, more pitch decks than I've had hot dinners. <laughs> so, so I know that sounds a bit disingenuous to say it's gut feel. It's not, it's not just something I make up. It's inherent knowledge, isn't it? I mean, you've had so much experience over the years. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, because it's sensible, really, to have a broad portfolio, it's, it's good not to have a particular sector or type of business that you invest in. It's good to have lots and lots of different types of businesses. But of course, the entrepreneur is really important to me. I just need to get a good sense for them as well. You know, I look for female founders that are passionate, is absolutely critical, really knowledgeable about their sector, but also kind of really honest and authentic and open and and wanting to talk to you and, and open to feedback. It's not that I have a medal at all, not at all, but you get a good sense for people that they just have a nice way about them. You think, yeah, actually, that's a good one. They just, I like them. They're nice. I think, yeah, I could hang out with you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so crucial, isn't it? Because you are going to be spending quite a bit of time, obviously, talking to them, supporting them, helping to develop, you know, how they think about their business. So your values and the way that you see things needs to be aligned. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, there's nothing worse than someone who is like totally ballsy, overconfident, you know, kind of like a bull in a china shop. That's kind of like the worst thing you can be as an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, I'd much rather come across somebody who is humble, honest about the mistakes they've made, perhaps doesn't see the potential as much as they could do, because I think they just need a little bit of encouragement and they will fly. Those entrepreneurs are much more interesting to me. Yeah. I think being humble is actually really important because you're more likely to 
be open to learning and admitting your faults. And I think women are probably a lot more like that, if I'm generalizing, than men. But it, it means that you're just more open to, to change. Yeah. I've got a great story on this one, actually. I've got one of my clients in the middle of a raise and she called, she called me up. She said, oh, my gosh, so I just had this conversation with this male investor and I was talking through my financial forecasts. And then we came off the phone and he emailed me and he said, look, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to invest in you. I think you've got female founder syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, you know, you're just not thinking big enough. You know, you're not thinking big enough. And she was gutted. And I said, I can't believe that he's actually said that to you. Um, But you know what happened? The week after he came back to her and he said, you know, I've actually been thinking about this. He said, I think female founder syndrome is a good thing because it means that your projections are actually realistic and honest and you're not giving me any bullshit. And I thought this was just a, such a pivotal moment that this realisation that this guy had had yeah. that actually female founder syndrome is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, that is fantastic. Yes. Are there any women investors you admire, Celia? So they you know, female VCs or your mum? <laughs> <laughs> this is a really easy one for me. There's a, a fabulous lady called Czech Warner. I don't know if you've interviewed her yet. If you haven't, you should. Yes, I'd love to interview Czech. So Czech is incredible. She's a VC. She has set up a new VC called Ada Ventures, which is very supportive of female founders. And Czech has been pioneering change in the industry through an initiative called Diversity VC, which is all about getting more women and people from ethnic minorities and other minorities into the VC industry. She is super smart it's just embarrassing to be even in the room with her because you just you know she's just awesome but she's she's amazing really supportive really active in the industry and I love her I love the work that she's doing I met her at a a few events and yes she's so humble and yet so switched on and helping to move the needle I think for so many women um, entrepreneurs so yeah I'm a big fan as well I must get her on Then in terms of if you're thinking about advice that you might want to share with women who want to engage more around money and investing, but potentially don't have the time, because that that is a challenge, isn't it, for a lot of women, especially if they're juggling family, work or a startup, they want to get smarter with their money. They want to get their money to work harder for them. What would you advise? You know, it depends how much disposable income you have. But if you can put a percentage of the money you want to invest into venture, I think you will get a lot out of it. And how much that is depends on you because you may want to, you know, put some money into the stock market or into property or whatever. But if you can put maybe, you know, 10% of that into something a bit more high risk, you'll get a lot out of it. And I would really say the place to start is just go and look on the crowdfunding website. So get off Net-A-Porte. <laughs> you don't need that new jacket or another pair of shoes. This is coming from a woman who has a lot of pairs of shoes. Yeah, this is why I'm laughing. Yes, yeah, You don't need another pair of shoes. Go and have a browse because, it's, I mean, it's a little bit like online shopping. You know, you go on there and you can kind of see all these great businesses and read about them. And you don't have to spend a long time looking at it. Just think to yourself, does this seem like a good idea? I mean, in a way, if it helps, if you say, look, I want that service. If, and if the answer is yes, then it's worth having a little look into. Watch the crowdfunding video. Just put a little bit of money in to start with. You can put as little as £10 into a campaign. Mm. So start really small. 
I mean, I do quite like the way I do it, where I just once a month put a little bit of money in because it's kind of fun. Yeah. I have to stop myself from doing it more often. I don't know. No, I think you will get a lot out of it and you will start to learn more, you know, the more you do it. Because they put £50 into or £100 into, I mean, for example, there's a, there's a business called Nix, which is raising money on one of the crowdfunding platforms now. And it's basically an at-home video workout service for women who are 40 plus, mm. right? So you can kind of think, oh, that's good. I really like that. And maybe you, before you invest in the business, you go and sign up to the service or check it out and read a little bit about them. If you think, yeah, I like the look of that female founder. I like the look of this business. I'll put £100 in. Then you're sort of, you're in the game and you'll get investor updates and you can read about it and learn. And you know what? The founder that you've invested in would always be happy to have a chat with you, would always be happy to answer any questions you have. You can ask those questions on the crowdfunding platforms. You know, and you can do it from, you know, from the sofa at home. You haven't got to go anywhere intimidating. And it is fun. But, you know, you do have to be prepared to to lose that money. That money will be tied up for a long time. So don't expect to see that money anytime soon. But I think it's a little bit like gambling, you know, except it's, it's nicer because you're doing some real good in the world, right? Instead of just putting some money on the Grand National. Yeah. You're doing some good in the world and making a difference. And quite a lot of the crowdfunding campaigns also, they give you as an investor some rewards. So you might get a discount on their products and services, which if it's something you like, then that can be beneficial for you. So I just say start small, give it a go. The more you do it, the more you'll love it and the more you will learn about how to do it. And who knows where that might take you. Yeah, I think that's awesome advice. And I say this a lot on the show. I think there's incredible value to be gained if you invest, as you said, even a little bit, whether it's £10, £20, £50 a month into something, and it means that you start paying attention. And if it means that you get investor updates, you can speak to the founder. I mean, the the knowledge that you gain from that experience alone is worth thousands, you know, tens of thousands of, of pounds. So, it's incredibly important on that front and you know, very empowering, I think. Very empowering. It will make you feel better than a pair of shoes. A pair of shoes feels good for a bit. And then, yeah. you know, let's face it, after you've been wearing them for a couple of hours, you've got blisters. <laughs> I love that analogy. For women who want to start investing in female-led businesses, so specifically, you know, as an angel investor, what would you suggest? I mean, you can't invest on the crowdfunding platforms anyway, unless you self-certify as somebody who has enough money to to put money into venture. But if you're interested in investing a lot more money, then, you know, I'm talking about sort of 20,000 upwards, then it, it might be useful to join a syndicate of angel investors where you work together to make decisions on on who you're investing in. I mean, there are places like Angel Academy, I think. Yeah. I think you've interviewed Sarah from yeah, Angel Academy or, D- or Adidi with Anna from Adidi, you know, yeah. a, a place you can go and join with other women and invest. And there are more of these things popping up all of the time, actually. So that can be quite a nice way to do it, too, so that you don't feel like you're on your own because there is an education piece there for you. Yeah. So I think it's becoming a lot easier for women. Go where your crowd is, you know, go where other women are that can invest and club together. Make it enjoyable, make it fun. Make it fun. And it doesn't need to be a lonely sport. I think the point is that we can create our tribal community or join other women who have the same interest or have been investing for a little while. And it feels less intimidating, less worrying. 
Yeah. Yeah. Really, really great advice. Julia, it's been so much fun to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you. If listeners want to connect with you, if they want to find you online, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I would check out um, entertheArena.co.uk and everything you need to know about how we can support you with fundraising is on there. And usually the first step, if you're interested in getting some professional support with your fundraising round, is to book a fundraising discovery session with me. And it takes about an hour and a half and we get onto Zoom and we'll work through your business and I'll, I'll help look at the investability of your business. Um, we'll talk through the strategy that you could be following and, and put together an action plan on where to go next. And, and we can also then talk about whether you need any further support. But for lots of people, that, that's enough to get them on their way. It's a really good place to start. But definitely go to entertheArena.co.uk. There's lots of free resources on there. You can see the link to the podcast on there, to some really useful articles, to masterclasses you can attend. And that's going to be your springboard into to raising investment. That's awesome. Julia, thank you so much. Thank you, Yana. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me online at Join the Purse or you can subscribe to our newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. Until next time, goodbye.